AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Wheat futures held on to mid-morning gains, but that was not enough to pull corn to the upside, especially with the soy complex trading under pressure. Live cattle futures were lower, with December closing below the opening range. That drained some momentum out. But lean hog futures closed higher for a fourth consecutive session. Live, whether you like it or whether you do. Via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we'll chat with Kevin Marcus from Marcus Weather Consulting and directly following the news, Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Laurie. I've decided the weather is drunk. Really? Yes. Had, had a few too many? Maybe. Just doesn't know what to do. Because Perhaps overstayed I've, its welcome. Mm-hmm. I've actually got some sunshine out there right now on one of the gloomiest days uh-huh. that we've ever had. I know it's going to be gone in a moment, uh-huh. but we've got a little bit of sunshine and it's raining. Go home, weather. Let's get you an Uber. You let's know, get, let's get this weather a ride mm-hmm. and send mm-hmm. them home. Yeah. yeah. You don't want yeah. to put them on the road in this no. kind of condition. Oh, no. That's just no good for anyone. No, that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. dangerous stuff and irresponsible well the weather can stay at my house because it's uh 69 degrees over here in south bend <laughs> a boy joe can, well you're such can a sleep kid. it off on the couch you're He's being very helpful thank mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. <laughs> all right welcome to agri talk i'm chip that is davis and whether you like it yep. or whether you do loved that love mm-hmm. that we are going to be talking about the weather today. One of my favorites is coming in here. Kevin Marcus, Marcus Weather Consulting. Known Kevin. Davis, it's got to be 30 years. It has got to be 30 years since I've uh since I first met Kevin and and uh it's it's fun to get him on the show and get his ideas of what is happening with the major trends to weather around the, not, not only here in the U.S., but around the globe. And uh, uh, he's got some agronomy training as well, so it uh, we can get some impacts on crop conditions and so on as, as we continue the conversation. Was there a, uh, by any chance, a guy named Elwin involved around the time you two guys met? No. Any chance of that at all? No. No. Unrelated. Unrelated. Huh. Unrelated. I met Elwin. Oh man, forty years oh. ago now. Okay. Jeez. Wow. Thank you, Davis. I'm trying to work out the timeline here. Next, I'm and filling now in for gaps my next, here. Next thirty years. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and get to the news. <laughs> well, Chip, front month soft red winter wheat futures traded to the lowest level since October 12, before bouncing to post a high range close. Traders pointed to word from Ukraine that it has suspended the use of a new Black Sea grain corridor as a source of support for prices. Ukrainian officials say shipments stopped two days ago due to threats from Russian warplanes. In the United States, export sales of wheat in the weekend of October 19 totaled nearly 364,000 metric tons. That was at the low end of trade expectations. December, hard red winter wheat futures today, five and three quarters cents higher, 654 and three quarters 
December soft red wheat up 11 cents to 5.79. December spring wheat closed at 7.24 and one quarter. That's up three and a half today, Chip. Yeah, this wheat market is trying. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's not very often that you hear those words come out of my mouth, but this <laughs> wheat market is trying, especially the SRW market, to chase some of the shorts out of that market. Corn futures were supported by the gains in wheat futures, but were pulled to the downside by losses in soybeans and in bean meal. Export sales of corn in the weekend at October 19 of 1.35 million metric tons easily topped trade expectations. Mexico accounted for more than half of those sales, but Colombia and Japan also made the list of buyers. Improved corn growing weather in Argentina limited buying in corn today. December corn futures traded on both sides of 480 again. The trend in corn still solidly sideways. December corn futures three quarters of one cent lower today, 479 and one quarter. March corn off one and one quarter cent to 493 and a quarter. May corn futures closed at 501 and one quarter, down one and three quarters of one cent chip. Yeah, it might not sound all that important, but at the very end of the day, we got the market below the opening range. So we closed corn below the open. Um, that's that, that's going to make it tough to stay in this sideways trading range. Downside momentum is starting to build. Export sales of soybeans weekend at October 19, 1.38 million metric tons were at the high end of trade expectations. Wow. China easily topped the list of buyers. And there are rumors China canceled purchases of 8 to 10 cargoes of Brazilian beans for November shipment. That's demand that could shift to a very competitive U.S. bean market. And USDA this morning did announce the sale of 110,000 metric tons of U.S. beans for delivery to China. That's in the current marketing year. But with some weather models increasing rain chances for Brazil's northern production areas, it was difficult to move prices to the upside. November bean futures once again closed below the opening range to build downside momentum. Soybean meal prices were steady to lower despite excellent export sales. November beans eight and three quarter cents lower, twelve seventy nine and a half. January beans down eight and one quarter, thirteen dollars and one quarter cent. March beans closed at thirteen thirteen and three quarters. That's down eight today, Chip. It's a long time since I've seen a weekly export sales report for soybean meal with a tally over a half a million tons and five oh eight thousand metric tons was the tally export sales of cotton in the weekend at october 19 just over 186,000 running bales up 82 percent from the four-week average december cotton today 78 points higher 84.59 and quickly on your live stocks december live cattle a dime lower 179 32 and a half november feeders off 155 to 236.50 and december lean hog futures one dollar 12 and one half cents higher 68, 62 and a half. The February contract up a buck 12 and a half. Also, 71, 82 and a half, Chip. All right. Thank you very much. Let's bring in Oliver Slope uh, from Blue Line Futures. How you doing, Oliver? I'm doing well, Chip. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Corn feels like it's locked right back in the in the same old sideways trading range. Yeah, that I mean, maybe even drifting a little bit lower. You'd mentioned yeah. some downside momentum building, and it certainly feels like that the last three weeks, you know, we've been able to stabilize Wednesday and rally into Thursday, and we haven't gotten that this week, unfortunately, uh, which puts us at our fifth consecutive day of losses, longest losing streak since uh, the eight-day losing streak that started at the end of July. So I'm a little bit worried that we're going to be threatening a breakdown below the low end of the recent range, just below 470. 
And uh, potentially that you know accelerates the selling pressure. So that 470, yeah. 467 area, it's it's got a hold, a break and close below there, and you might have people kind of rushing for the exits and um, taking another dip lower. So. All right, all right. Is wheat trying? What's uh, what, what's the situation there? <laughs> well, wheat wheat's wheat's trying, but it's been trying for a while. These rallies have been <laughs> short lived for for quite some time. So I'm you know not getting too excited. I think if we start to see consecutive closes out above that psychologically significant $6 level, which is you know just above where the 50 day moving average comes in. Potentially we can spur some short covering from there. Uh, obviously you got some headlines coming out of the black sea that could potentially lead to some upward momentum as well. So it's okay. trying, uh, but one day is uh, certainly not right. enough to say the market is, is got a low end. Right. Hard to overcome that pressure from Monday's cattle trade, isn't it? Oh man. Yeah. I was, I was hoping we'd get a little bit more of a bounce back. I'm still crossing my fingers that tomorrow can be the day we had good exports this morning here. And uh, I heard 183 bids in Texas this morning, 186 getting passed on in Nebraska. So I'm hopeful we can round out the week on a high note. Outstanding. Good work. Who you got this weekend? We, we got Purdue. And if we can take them down, we're, we'll be uh, in, in the driver's seat heading to the Lending Tree Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. So if we win against <laughs> Purdue this weekend, I'm booking my hotel. <laughs> the Lending Tree Bowl. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you, Oliver. Oliver's love blue line futures. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by Neogen. Igenity Beef by Neogen is a simple DNA test that allows you to make selection decisions in your replacement heifers that will build the future of your cow herd. Learn more at Neogen.com. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us. Thursday afternoon? How Thursday. did that happen? Thursday. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea how that happened? You know, time just uh, just keeps ticking. I think that had something to do with it. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Oh. You know, Progress, making baby. it from making it from Monday to Thursday as quickly as we did. I mean, it's better than the alternative. Well, that and you know, there sure. are those who would argue we are uh, in in the best world are like four days better than we were when we started this. Exactly. Week. That'd be the exactly. goal, anyway. It's the goal. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Um, welcome back. I'm Chip. That's Davis. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the conversation right now with Kevin Marcus, Marcus Weather Consulting. Kevin, it's great to talk with you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Chip. How are you today? Doing real good. It's kind of I I started off the, the show by saying that I think the weather is drunk out here, Kevin, because 
I, I mean, we've got a little bit of sunshine right now. There's heavy rain in the area, and it's not right now, but it was raining with the sun out. And it just, it, it, it's what a, uh, 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 an active system we've got making its way across the Midwest right now. Right, we're getting hit by two directions. One, some recurved, uh, strong tropical energy from the West Pacific getting caught up into the uh, polar jet stream, and that's delivering the better moisture across the Midwest, and then you know, attacking us from the South or the remnants you know, earlier this week from Norma, maybe a little moisture now from Otis, which uh, blossomed in the last couple of days in Mexico, did a lot of damage in Acapulco. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so that's coming up through you know, both those uh, stream flows of moisture coming through Texas. And so you're kind of getting attacked from both sides. And some of that uh, moisture is converging in the Mississippi Valley, thankfully, in a way, because we're trying to we're trying to get the Mississippi River uh, back up yeah. to normal stream flow. Right. Uh, the storm that hit Mexico, uh, Kevin, I don't know if I've ever seen a storm intensify as quickly as that one did. How did that happen? What happened? Well, you had strong upward motion. You had, you had a, a, a complementary, uh, very warm waters uh, and, and uh, strong upward motion. The Madden Joint Oscillation was in the perfect position to, to amplify the upward motion. So you had just the right convergence of conditions for that. We have seen this before with hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, that you know, when they hit Mexico Beach a few years ago, that okay. intensified from a category two or two, one or two to a category five in the last few hours before it wiped out Mexico City Beach in, in Florida about wow. four years ago. And so that's it's we, we have seen this okay. uh this occur before. Okay. Yeah. But nobody you know none, of, none of the models predicted that. So right. amplification. That's that's a little odd that they they haven't been clued in on on the on the dynamics how strong they are interesting interesting those warm waters it's part of uh el nino and the development of el nino what's the status here well the, the el nino is classified as, as strong a strong el, el nino one of the strongest we've had since 1950 at least in the at least in the top 10 uh of the uh 25 or so el ninos we've had in, in this period of time and and uh uh, it has had a, a, a almost a, a, a split personality here. South of the equator, we've seen the drought in, in Australia, drier conditions in, in the southern half of the palm oil areas, Indonesia in particular, uh, drier conditions are actually a, a signature of El Nino in, in Argentina. It does become wetter in, in November in Argentina, which is in the forecast now. Uh, and, and the uh, wet conditions in southern Brazil and drier in northern Brazil. So we've had very good correlation to El Nino in, in the southern hemisphere, but the northern hemisphere kind of falls apart. And uh, we haven't seen a strong subtropical jet giving consistent moisture to the southern plains. And, and uh, you know, the uh, uh, I think that's going to change as we go through the winter period. But one of the reasons I think for that is that we have such warm waters throughout the northern hemisphere, uh, Pacific and Atlantic oceans, is that we don't have the typical temperature contrast between you know, cooler waters in, in the central latitudes, northern latitudes versus the tropics. 
Yeah. You need that temperature contrast to drive that subtropical jet, that temperature differential, temperature gradient. And we just don't have that. And that, and it will develop because seasonally temp sea surface temperatures in the central Pacific will cool off. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just making it slower for this El Nino correlated rainfall to kick in across the southern U.S. Okay. Um, the the southern hemisphere correlation. Okay, it it is looking like a La and uh, El Nino weather pattern. What does that mean for those key? Talk to me about the northern production areas in Brazil. What does it mean? Well. We're seeing a, a combination again of of, of uh, positioning of the mad joint oscillation co coincidental with the El Nino that's giving us a, a a drier start, slower start to the monsoonal season, and that's been manifest by drought conditions in the Amazon. The Amazon River reached uh, near record low levels yeah. uh, just a few few weeks ago, and so they have a very dry environment across the Amazon. So it, it, the the rains that you expect to fall in Mato Grosso and Goiás are swept in uh, moisture fields like is a monsoonal uh, sweep of winds that brings the moisture into, into uh, northern Brazil. And that's been muted because the, the air is so dry over the Amazon. And so until, until we moisten that up, we're not going to get a normal stream flow. And it, and it appears that we're going to get continued suppressive rainfall motion. If you have strong rising motion, thanks to El Nino sitting off the coast of Ecuador and Peru, you're going to have sinking motion over northern Brazil. And a drier than drier than average condition, and that may be all well and good for Mato Grosso and Goiás most years, but we're also seeing some complementary heat. Uh, that's the most extreme we've seen since 2015. So this that was another strong El Nino year, 2015. Okay. So this this one is mimicking that year where we lost crop production due to hot and dry, and that's the only case we have in the last 20 years where Mato Grosso lost quite a bit of crop four or five million metric tons because of hot and dry conditions okay how long do you think that that pattern stays there i think the drier conditions stay with us throughout the growing season in south america even into the even into the safrina corn growing period okay. okay well that's that's why you're finding a correlation year or an analog year excuse me uh because you we, we've got to take a look at what happened in the last year that was similar to, to try to figure out. And, and it sounds like you've got a downside bias on, on the Brazilian bean crop because of that. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're dealing with hot and dry conditions, hotter and drier than usual in, in the nor northern states. And we're going to lose about 10%, maybe 15% okay. of the crop because of that. And then in the southern states, yeah, we got the other extre extremity going <laughs> yeah. on. It's it's raining cats and dogs there. Yeah. So, tell me about the the threats from that. I, I how long does does that stick around? Well, that sticks around also for the next several months. Uh, repetitive heavy rain events in Paraná, Rio Grande do Sul, Mato Grosso do Sul, and so uh, you know a wet related loss is not nearly as severe as a drought loss. We lost 40% of the Paraná crop two years ago from drought. Uh, yeah. The last wet season in 2015-16, we were about 5% below trend. Okay. So Argentina, it, it seems like it's been a little slow to kick in to the El Nino pattern. Right. That's that's not atypical in, in El Nino years that 
October is still drier. The, okay. the compounding problem is that we've had three three years of drought ahead of this. Yeah. And, and so it, it's really beating up the uh, you know the, the wheat crop there, but it does not translate into problems for for uh, corn and soybean. You know, Kevin, it, it we we talk so often about how uh, conditions in North America one year might be reflected in South America and Brazil the next year. And when you say things like the the um, the the Panama River, not Panama River. What am I trying to say? Amazon. Oh, geez. Can you <laughs> the Amazon and the Mississippi. Yes. Yeah. The 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 similarities between the Amazon and the Mississippi. It's just that's eerie. Yeah, that's it. You know, I, I, you're dealing with similar climate drivers, but uh, I, I but. And I, I don't necessarily know that you need to, to connect the two, but we you can also right. look at in Europe. We've had low river levels uh, in the major river systems there as well. The Danube and the Rhine rivers are also running low. I think it's just the nature of the extreme patterns that we're in right now. Okay. All right. Man, I can't believe we're out of time already in that segment. We've got one more southern hemisphere area that I want to ask you about before we move north of the hemisphere or the equator. Um, and that is Australia. What what are we seeing in Australia? And then let's talk about Europe and the U.S. and what the strong El Nino means for us going forward. Let's go to the markets page at ProFarmer.com and check today's closes. Where December hard red winter wheat futures were five and three quarters higher at six fifty four and three quarters. December SRW up eleven cents to five seventy nine. December corn three quarters of one cent lower, four seventy nine and one quarter. March corn off one and one quarter cent to four ninety three and one quarter. Novi beans were eight and three quarters lower, twelve seventy nine and a half. Jan beans off eight and one quarter to thirteen dollars and one quarter cent. December cotton was seventy eight points higher, eighty four fifty nine. Beef export sales seventeen thousand four hundred metric tons, up seventy two percent from the four week average. Dees fat cattle a dime lower, one seventy nine thirty two and a half and. November feeders fell a buck fifty-five to two thirty-six fifty. Pork export sales twenty-eight thousand metric tons down from the four-week average. Dece one twelve and a half higher, sixty-eight sixty-two and a half. Get more market news every market day at TryProFarmer.com. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. In the morning, 
you're coffeeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk. Yeah, that mashup kind of fits what's going on with the weather outside my front door. Uh, Davis, what about you? It looks like things cleared up for you, huh? We're on the sunshine track right now, brother, and it feels so good. Good for you. Good for you. We are in the middle of a weather conversation with Kevin Marcus from Marcus Weather Consulting. Uh, We've covered a lot of the southern hemisphere, but we've got a little bit more ground to coverage uh, to cover, and that ground would be Australia. Kevin, uh, it sounds like they had a little bit of a frost overnight in some areas. At this point in the season, it's not it's not going to do much damage. The frosty conditions are a problem when the crop's flowering, not yeah. when it's in green fill. Uh, but I think the the overarching problem has just been the drought conditions. Yeah. And then we had a, a massive heat wave in late September during flowering. And, and uh, that's taken the crop down to uh, years that we've seen the most severe losses in El Nino years, which would be you know, roughly 70% of trend yields for both wheat and canola. And so you're looking at, at crop production that's you know, easily 10% below where the USDA has it right now. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if the market's got that factored in or not. We'll have to see how's that how that develops. Okay, let's move north of the equator, go over to Europe, and talk to me about the influence of El Nino. Right. The strongest influence we'll see domestically is is that we, we have um, an increasingly strong subtropical jet as we go through November and December, at least that's the expectation. And that usually gives us a more zonal flow uh, across the entire North America, which is uh, a milder flow than we've seen the last three years of La Nina, the opposite condition. And so we would expect to see a fairly mild Canadian prairies, northern plains, uh, occasional systems, as we've already been seeing this week, zipping through the, the polar yeah. jet uh, period. But uh, near normal precipitation across the northern plains and Canadian prairies, which is not good news for Canada because they're still in drought. And I don't see enough precipitation coming through to lift them out of drought before next spring. But most of the U.S. should see enough precipitation to see drought conditions improve. And we really need more moisture to to give the wheat crop, winter wheat crops here a drink to get them growing because uh, we're planting on time. But you know, if you look at the emergence rates, they're they're way behind average in in, uh, in the Delta region. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, and and for the grass, the the rangeland out in the plains, boy, a shot of winter moisture would be exactly what they need out there, rather than some temporary relief from spring rains or something like that. Some Good winter moisture would help those guys out a lot, wouldn't it? Can they get yeah. it? I think they will. I think uh, in the interim here, we one other thing we need to worry about is this uh, this cold outbreak. Although we don't have a lot of cold air in the northern hemisphere, uh, whatever we have is getting dumped into the central plains next week, and we're seeing temperatures in the low to mid twenties on several mornings with wheat just emerging, and and that's uh, not a good recipe for. Get- for this wheat crop, you know, going to get some burn back. I don't know if we lose the crop, but it's going to lose some time in its establishment. So it's just one other insult we're inflicting on this wheat crop as it tries to get going, both ma- mainly in the southern plains, but even even the eastern Midwest, uh, you know, Illinois, for example, has crop emerged that could be damaged by this uh, hard freeze next next week. Yeah, it and it, it it's not only going to freeze hard, 
but those temperatures are going to stay cold for a period of time, aren't they? Yeah, for several days, and it's the multiple mornings of exposure that, yeah. that will do the damage. It does get milder after this, but you know the damage may have been done. And I don't know whether you need to replant, but you know the crop would be set back. Okay. All right. What about in the the upper Midwest, Iowa in particular, is what I'm looking at. Um, you you said enough moisture to help fix some of the drought problems. Is that going to be in the form of snow, or how does how are we fixing it? I think you're looking at, at normal, at least normal snowfall across Minnesota, uh, Iowa, and and uh, most of the upper Midwest. Uh, usually, the, these seasons are marked by early season snowstorms and and late season snowstorms. So that's where you get most of the moisture. East Shanfeb, you don't expect a lot of precipitation across the region. So we're, we're going to you know, get get a, a refill of the soil profile. It's, some of that will, will come in the next 30 days, and most of that, I think, will come in March and April. Is it going to be a battle to get what, what's left of the corn crop harvested? It's going to get strung out here. I, there, we have a nice drier break for five or six days next week, and then we go back into the more active pattern after that. So we should be able to make some decent progress, but the last 20% of the corn harvest could uh, – get strung out here till thanksgiving okay okay you know the mississippi a year ago got so low uh not as low as what it was this year but obviously we were dealing with low water issues a year ago we come around to the spring and all those heavy snows up north uh dumped a bunch of water down the river and we had the third highest peak on record now i wasn't around for this but i've looked at the records and the the record lows in northern on the on the upper Mississippi came in 1964 ahead of the highest crest on record that came in 1965. Um, you know, we talk about fixing things like this with floods. Could we be setting up for something like that again? Man, we were approaching flood levels last spring. We had river levels go from minus uh 10 feet to, to plus 26 feet on the at memphis mm-hmm. we, we're already approaching flood stage last spring so the answer to your question is i, I don't know if we'll get into flooding but we're going to resolve by, by the middle of november you know the low draft problems will be behind us Good. river levels will be high enough and uh I, I think there may be some risk of, of slight spring flooding in the mid mississippi area uh, rolling into next April, but upper Mississippi snows like we saw last year, North Dakota, I don't, you're not going to see that kind of snowpack develop. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Take us over to Europe, Russia and Ukraine in particular. What, uh, what should we expect? What's going on? We've had quite a bit of rain across the area, more in the fort and more in the forecast across Ukraine, uh, Russia. Uh, it, it, it's not going to solve all of the problems. But it's gonna it's gonna result in in uh, uh, some moisture in the ground. So when the crop breaks dormancy, moisture can be there. So whatever we weren't able to tiller out uh, in in the fall before we lose lose growing degree days, we're gonna uh, uh, be able to pick that back up. I think in, in March and April, the the area of concern primarily is in the northern twenty five percent of the Russian winter wheat belt in the Volga Valley central region very similar 2020 conditions where, you know, it was so dry for so long 
and we and we did get some late late rains that that fall, but uh, the crop just barely emerged, and about uh, you know, most of that crop had to be replanted. Uh, it was beat up by whatever was there was beat up by ice crusting and and, and outright uh, cold exposure. So we we ended up with a crop that was about fifty five million metric tons for the Russian winter wheat crop in in twenty twenty one. I think you know, we're going to go a little bit lower on next year's Russian winter wheat crop. And with a slower start in Ukraine, you know, we're probably be down. Well, we had record yields reported this year yeah. uh, at 4.7 million metric tons. You'll see something that's about, ten, you know, about 5 to 10 percent below uh, next year. Okay. All right. The Atlantic along the Western European coast, it, it's cooling off. What kind of an impact does that have? Well, we're seeing a, a, a trough dig into the northwestern Europe and, and repetitive rain events. Yeah. And that's uh, creating a problem now across France, UK, Germany, where, you know, we haven't fully planted the wheat crop. And it's becoming similar to a case we had in 2019, where we could not plant the wheat crop fully. And, and we were still planting some wheat in France in January. And it should already be in the ground by now. And so that's a problem of uh, lost acres and poor establishment that's going to resonate with their with their wheat production next year and so that's one 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 area of wetness and i you know, i should add to that that you know we've had wet related losses to, yeah. to the quality of the crop for the spring wheat in the black sea and we're seeing that in south america as well so we we're talking earlier in the show about opportunities for soft wheat um yeah. You know, we see, and we saw it earlier this year in China. We had about ten or fifteen million metric tons destroyed by wet conditions, and uh, China's gotten more aggressive buying buying our spring our our soft red winter wheat. So we may see over the next uh, several weeks the same opportunities showing up here uh, because of the uh, loss of milling quality wheat out of out of uh, uh, South America and the reductions expected reductions now for next year out of Europe. Okay. All right. We've got about a minute left here, Kevin. Talk to me about China. What kind of an influence will they feel? Well, China, you know, they're going into the dry season and they, they, the winter wheat planting went in okay. And, and they did not have a, 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 uh, a terrible growing season like they had a few years ago in 2020. Uh, so, uh, you know, production levels are, 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 are decent for corn and, and, and for, for soybeans and Right now, they're setting up pretty well for this next winter wheat crop. So we're not looking for any extreme weather conditions over this coming winter. Okay. All right, man, Kevin, you can make the trip around the world and and uh, uh, talk about all these conditions and what it's going to do to the crops and, and what it has done to the crops. I, I appreciate your insight, and uh, thank you so much for making time to, to be on AgriTalk. You're welcome, Chip. Thank you. All right. That is Kevin Marcus, Marcus Weather Consulting. Of course, right now we are most interested in what is happening down in South America. Um, But uh, you heard what he said about we'll get a a stretch of four or five drier days here in the Midwest uh, coming next week. But after that, we're going to be fixing some drought issues in the upper Midwest. Davis and I will be right back. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. 
Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. You're listening to AgriTalk, where the conversation begins... Join us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back. Hey, attention to at Dan the Corn Guy. Dan. I've got, I've got good news for you, Dan. Kevin Marcus has not left. Marcus Weather Consulting, <laughs> he is still with us, and I'm going to bring him back on here right now. Kevin, thanks for doing some overtime. Sure. All right. The question from, from Dan uh, at Dan, the corn guy is very straightforward. PNW winter weather, Pacific Northwest winter weather. What what do you see? Usually it turns drier as a jet stream. It aims towards California and the southwest. But uh, we, we have a, more of a variable pattern in the next 30 days. It's going to bring more moisture opportunities into the PNW. So we should go into the winter period set up pretty nicely with uh, soil moisture across across well idaho is already above average but picking up more moisture in oregon and, and washington so i think we're, we're in pretty good shape going into the winter but over winter i'd expect it to be drier than usual so we will need some timely rains yeah. uh, when we come out of this in the spring and and that that's that's an open question right now whether or not we'll get those timely rain events to give the crop a drink back uh, in uh, March and April, but at least going into the winter, we're in pretty good shape. Okay, good. Now, a year ago, we had such just incredible snows in the mountains in California to recharge some of those reservoirs. Is that a possibility again? Yes, it looks like the, or we'll see uh, above average snowfall across the uh, Sierra Nevadas, lower Rockies. So we should, you know, Colorado River should be pretty well supplied with water going into next season. Good. Boy, it, it, it just, we had gotten to the point that it was unbelievably dangerous. Our water security was really in question out there, wasn't it? Yeah, well, we stopped building reservoirs a long time ago, so that's yep. part, part of the man-made problem. But yep. the weather wasn't helping the last three years, but I, I think, you know, We'll probably revisit those drought years again in the near future, but at least for for the time being, we're, we should be sit, sitting well with the water supplies in California for for twenty twenty four. Good deal, good deal, Kevin. You're fantastic. Thank you again, buddy. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Chip. Thank you. All right, Kevin Marcus, Marcus Weather Consulting, Davis. I was so yeah. into the conversation and listening so hard to what what Kevin was talking about. I I might have missed a couple of things, but what uh, what an ability! What a an encyclopedic, yeah. uh, just 
range of of uh, of knowledge of of what is happening around the world weatherwise. Crazy, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think we got anywhere on this, but it really got me to thinking about um, the relationships between the Amazon, the Mississippi, and then he brought it into to some of the European rivers yeah. too, the, the Danube, the Thames, and things like that. Uh, these are major bodies of water. It would make sense that that there would be some sort of impact, but I I guess I just don't have a feel. I've never thought about that before, yeah. dude. The uh, well, atmospheric impact of the existence of a major river. Yeah, yeah. It it uh, is good question and something that we might have to get back to Kevin on and, and talk with him a little bit about that again. But the uh, yeah the similarity in, in the patterns that we see in different areas it they lock in over time right mm-hmm. yep. and when when we talk about the impacts of major cycles uh it's it, it the we're talking about cycles that impact the globe not just the midwest here in in the states we're mm-hmm. talking about big cycles with big implications around the globe and and the idea that uh we're you know we're still pointed to that 89 year drought cycle in 2025 is something that we just continue to watch and continue to mm-hmm. I continue to think about it and and uh, I would love to see 2024 be one of those those break years between 23 and 25 one of mm-hmm. you know a year that could could recharge some some um, levels, some moisture levels in the in the dirt, mm-hmm. and some water levels on those rivers. That, that would be fantastic. Is it possible that that cycle is ahead of schedule, and we actually just experienced that over the no. last two years? No. Why don't? Why? Because it's an eighty-nine year cycle. It's an eighty-nine <laughs> year cycle because it's an eighty-nine year cycle. Because of history. Because it okay. happens every eighty nine years. Okay. Um. I would. I. I believe me. I've had those thoughts. Yeah. I've yeah. had the thoughts. Maybe we just pulled it forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe two thousand twenty three was that drought year. But you know, if you remember right, nineteen thirty four wasn't anything to be comfortable well, with either. I remember that year. I had to no, make my own socks you don't. out of corn shucks. It sucked. <laughs> So, but the, the dirty 30s, it wasn't just 1936. I mean, it was 33, 34, 35, 36. So, it, uh, there, there is still time. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be alarmist or anything, but okay. there's time for it to get worse. Oh, still time for it to get two years worth worse, right? Well, but that 1935 in, correlation Mm -hmm. there was a bit of relief it wasn't as bad as 34 and 36 okay i'm gonna have to go back and 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 read up on that again but if i'm recalling it correctly Mm -hmm. from um that's that's uh there was a bit of relief so hey maybe we get a good production year in here before we have to uh 
pray for rain on a daily basis. Indeed. Doesn't look like Alaska is going to get much uh, relief from the above normal temperatures in the 6 to 10 day, nor the dryness, Chip. Uh, you no. Know? Well, nope. you know, duck on it, that's, uh, that is a bit of a problem now. Hot and dry. Okay. So the rest for November 1st through the 5th in the 6 to 10 day, below normal temperatures expected over the Corn Belt. We've got below normal precipitation also expected over most of the U.S., including the Corn Belt. And then in the 8 to 14 day, November 3rd through the 9th, near normal to above normal temperatures, the above normal temperatures in the southern areas of the Corn Belt, and near normal precipitation across most of the Corn Belt. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. Come back tomorrow morning. We've got Chairman Thompson on the show and a free-for-all right here on Agritalk.